Abba, Father. We move from a position where at one time we had a, a slavish fear. Oh, that we're under condemnation of God. But now the spirit of adoption enters in. We're moved into a position, a positional relationship where I'm a son and he's my father. And the spirit comes into my life and he, he, and he, and he cries. Assurance. Cries. Why didn't he just say, say? Why didn't he just say, speaks these words? Because when the Holy Spirit is in us, we cry. We cry out to our Father, I need you. Dad, I need you. I need your strength. I need your power. I need your hand. I need you. I can't make it through this without you. We cry. The word cry speaks of our passion bursting forth. And the word Abba speaks of our adoration for our Father in Heaven. Our adoration. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. It's Aramaic. And in Aramaic, they got it so right that they just speak it into Greek. They just speak it into Hebrew. Abba, it brings forth all that, all that passion, all that love for your father. All that love is, is wrapped up in it. It's, it's a part of it. We cry out passionately for our father, which art in heaven. Abba. Jesus cried out passionately from the garden of Gatsmone. And he said, Father... Abba. Cry out passionately. Once upon a time, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't care how things looked to God, what, what, it, what it was about God. None of that stuff mattered to me. But when I came by faith in Jesus Christ, not only did His Spirit within me begin to declare war against my sin, but I also became passionate about my Father in Heaven. Two assurances that your in the family of God. That you're born again. That the Holy Spirit is within you. The declaration of war against sin. The passionate cry to my Father in heaven. I need you, Dad. I need you, Dad. I need you. Think about it. Romans 5.5. 5. You guys remember that scripture? We talked about it before. Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God's love has been showered down upon us. God has poured His love out. You picture like a bucket being dumped on somebody's head. Only it's an eternal bucket. So it's more like standing under a waterfall that's not ever going to stop. The love of God poured into our life. How? When the Holy Spirit came in. And I was adopted as a son. And the love of God showered me that He loves me. It moves us to a place of, of passion. In fact, when we hold on to the Scripture, we look down in, in Romans 5 verse 8. It says, how was this love poured out on me? What do you mean this love was poured out? What did it look like? God demonstrated His love to us in this. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He showered 
me with His love. I love the assurance that the Scripture gives us. The assurance that the Scripture pours into our, to our hearts. So we can know. I'm not saying these are the only evidences. I'm just saying this is what Romans 8 is talking about. He's talking about the Spirit working that adoption in my life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit declaring war on my sin. No peace there. That these are evidences, that these are ways in which we can see the Holy Spirit moving and working in our life. Look at verse 16, because this is kind of where it comes together. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, that's the purpose. I was not just making it up. The, the Spirit Himself bears witness. According to Hebrew uh, uh, tradition and according to the Word of God, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing was confirmed. Well, there's two. The Holy Spirit and my Spirit. Confirming that I'm a child of God. (laughs) Because His Spirit has declared war against my sin. And because He has adopted me as a son. And I have a passion to the Father who poured out His love upon me that I never had before. Evidence. Evidence. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So we see the Holy Spirit leads me. Those who are led by the Holy Spirit. They are the sons of God, right? The Holy Spirit leads me in my battle against my sin. And if God's church would get that straight in their heads, we'd have a lot less trouble. Because we spend a lot of time worrying about somebody else's sin. Last I checked, The church is not perfected. I got sin. I got problems. I got issues. I got got battlefields in my life. But if I take my attention and look at everybody else's sin, I don't have to deal with mine. And I start to elevate myself. And I start to make myself believe I'm so righteous because I can see all these sin in other people. But that's not what he's declaring to me in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 he's saying, The Holy Spirit in you declares war on your sin. Your sin. My sin. I'm being led by the Spirit when I'm being led battle against my sin. And I'm being led by the Spirit when I'm led into an adopted relationship with the Father. I'm led by the Spirit. Are there other ways I'm led by the Spirit? Absolutely. I'm not saying these are the only ways. I'm saying we're in Romans 8 and that's what it says. I can know. I can know. I can know. And then the next verse, first three words are so important. And if children. Are you a child of God? I just told you two easy ways. I didn't make you speak in tongues. I didn't make you get baptized. I didn't make you go to catechism. I didn't make you do some work in which you might feel that you have been justified. I have given you two evidences of the Holy Spirit living and working in your life. The most important question you're going to answer is that question. Are you a child of God? Because if you are, what I'm going to tell you in the next two verses 
is mind-blowing, earth-shattering. It changes everything on the face of the earth forevermore. But it all hinges on those first three words. And if children. The only way you're a child of God is if the Holy Spirit's in you. The way the Holy Spirit comes in you is that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how we can know we are a child of God. So if children, oh, those next two words, then heirs. Do you get what that means? Because that is kind of a crazy concept. Do you get it? Do you get what it means to be heirs, heirs of God and join heirs together with Christ? Here's the downside. There's a conditional phrase afterwards. And that's a conditional phrase. I love to look for the unconditional phrase, which is an if that means like since. But that's not here. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Well, let's talk about it. We're talking about if you are a child of God. We're talking about being an heir and a joiner. So let's talk about our inheritance for a minute. What is our inheritance? I've been adopted as a son. And if I'm a child of God, then... I'm an heir and a joint heir together with Christ. So what was it with the, that the heir got? Well, the firstborn, he got double. So that should let us know Jesus has more than we do. You okay with that? I'm, so, I'm way okay with that. <coughs> way okay with that. But I want to look at three things that I think he's talking about here that, that indicate what our inheritance is. And I want you to consider them. Because when we come to the, if indeed we suffer... Knowing what you're suffering for makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. Well, let's look at it. The first part of our inheritance, I think, is the world. You remember Romans 4.13? If you flip over there, it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, are we heirs to the promise with Abraham? Well, the scripture says we are. So what is our inheritance? Well, one of the things that is our inheritance is the world. Just a little thing, like the world. What's the Bible tell us in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. All the things in the world are going to be yours one day. Do you really have to settle for just one little bit of something now? Is that one little thing that you're chasing, is it so important in light of the fact that you will inherit all the world? Well, I wish I could just have this little thimble. This little thimble. I'll sell everything I got for that little thimble. Because one day, we're going to have it all. Why settle for that stuff? Why sell your soul for those things? You have an inheritance. It's all the world. But it's even more than that. It's all the world and the fullness thereof. So it's all the world and everything in the world. And everything associated with the world. In fact, 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, listen to how Paul, this is kind of exciting, listen to how Paul does it. In, in Corinthians, he says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. All things means? All things. Does it mean most things? A few things? Occasionally there's something? No, it means all things. Now, hold on. Somebody right now is sweating. I, I can hear him. Oh, I didn't know he was one of them prosperity guys. I'm not. Relax. Just ride with me for a while. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, listen, or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God. All things. Do you hear all the things he mentioned in the all things? People. Places. Life. And death. I want you to think about that. How in the world can part of my inheritance be life or death? It's not only every good thing. It's every bad thing too. Oh, now I'm not so excited about my inheritance. I was pretty excited. You had me going there, Jackie, with all the good things, all the stuff in the world, all that cool stuff. That's awesome. But then you threw death in there. Yeah, isn't that cool? You know, Romans 8 told us that too. Look back at Romans 8, down in verse 35. We should be there in a couple of minutes. <coughs> Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things you are more than conquerors. Do you ever think about what that phrase means? I mean, I know what it is to be a conqueror. Conqueror puts his foot on the neck of the duty, just conquered. There, I win. What's more than that? See, this is so important. This part of your inheritance is so important to your understanding of how you deal with, how you focus on suffering. What's more than conquerors? More than conquerors means not only did Jesus put his foot on the, on the neck of death and conquer death, but now death serves my happiness forever. Death, how does death serve my happiness forever? When I die, I'm with Jesus. Death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? There's no victory. I'm more than a conqueror because now death is going to serve my happiness. Because through death, I go to Christ. That's why Paul said, whether I live or die, I don't really care if I die. I get to see Jesus If I live, it's better for you guys. I'd rather go be with Jesus, but right now it's more needful for me to be with you. So, death lost all its fear, all its failure. All those things that are part of our inheritance mean that all those things, all those sufferings, all the nakedness and the sword and the peril, all those things are going to serve for your happiness, your intense joy in the presence of God. All of those things are going to serve you to bring you into a greater and more intense joy with God Almighty. 
So when he says our inheritance is all the world and everything in it, every bad thing that could ever happen to you is going to bring you into a fullness of joy with Christ that you can't even begin to imagine right now, but is promised according to God's word. That's your inheritance. Everything. Isn't that cool? I like it. I get pretty stoked about it. I'm thinking, man, ah, more than conquerors, all things are going to serve for my happiness, my joy in Christ Jesus. But that's not all. The second thing that we inherit is God Himself. He is my portion. You heard that before? The tribe of Levi, they got no inheritance in the land. They got nothing in the land. You know what God told them? God said, I'm not going to give you any land. I'm your inheritance. I'm your inheritance. He is our inheritance. In Romans 5, 2, it says, Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that one day I'm with Him, He's with me, He's my inheritance. I'm never going to wonder, never going to be separated from Him. I'm not going to be away from Him for a one nanosecond. None. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. The hope of the glory of God. Think about Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them, and be their God. God Himself is my inheritance. You know, God says you are His inheritance. I think we got the better deal. He gets us. We get Him. Think about what the psalmist said. Who, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my Inheritance forever. Man. God's our inheritance. Not only is God our inheritance, not only do we have all the world and everything in it, but on top of that, we get a redeemed body. That has given me great hope. I don't have to take such great care of this one. I hope to run it into the ground. Now, I know this probably means nobody in here is going to loan me their car. But if I got a car, or a motorcycle, or a boat, or something, I'm going to run it like I stole it. Man, I'm going to get every, I'm going to squeeze every ounce of joy and pleasure out of that thing till all that's left is a crumbling husk. I have an inheritance of a new body. A new redeemed body. Look down in in Romans chapter 8 verse 22. It discusses it for us. It says, For we know that the whole creation groans with labor and birth pangs together until now. And not only that, we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. 
Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the, what's that word? Adoption. Remember I told you there's a private and a public? Eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the what? Redemption of the body. That's when God is going to stand before all of creation and throw his arms out wide and say, You're mine! What do you think that's going to feel like? What joy do you think you're going to feel in that moment? When you have your public proclamation as God declares that you're His. And then the body that He gives you is not a body that, so that we can just enjoy things. It's a body so that we can see Him. Without a glorified body, you can't look at God. You can't see God. Not only that, the Scripture tells us that you and I are going to shine with the brightness of the sun in our glorified body. So if someone else doesn't have a glorified body, we couldn't enjoy each other. Because we couldn't look at each other, be looking at the sun. My eyes will burn out. So what do I get? I get new eyes. I get a new brain that can fully fathom the things of God. I get a new heart that can feel the things I'm supposed to feel and not have to worry about the fallenness of man. The redemption of the body means... All that stuff is over and done. Sin is defeated and gone. Now no longer look or think or do anything that is inappropriate or dishonoring toward God. I will only do those things which honor and glorify Him. Because I've got the body prepared for me by Him to do it. This one won't work. But the one that God gives... That one will. So this is an incredible inheritance. It's great news. And then you got this next part of the verse that's if indeed we suffer with him. It's a conditional phrase. It means what it says. If we suffer with him. If we suffer with him. What does that mean? If we suffer with Him. You know, the Scripture has those, those, those promises that we don't often like to put on our fridge. You know, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Those ones that we don't put up. And certainly that's part of it. <sighs> that's part of it. But I think here in the rest of eight, it's kind of unfolds for us. Well, let's back up and think of some of the things that Jesus told us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, Then he said to them all, If anyone desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Not just words on a page. Hebrews 12 6 and 7 tell us this. For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there that a father does not chasten? The discipline of God. Certainly can be part of the suffering. I believe it is. Carrying our cross daily. Part of the suffering. Indeed it is. 1 Peter 4.13 says... But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. 
you may be glad with exceeding joy to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Well, you know the saying, no pain, no gain, no cross, no crown. If indeed we suffer with him, no suffering, no inheritance. Did you hear how great that inheritance was? Man, that inheritance is... Listen, I think it's more than all those things, though. I think it's this. I think we see this in the rest of Romans chapter 8, and we'll talk about it next time. <clears throat> but, I, but I think it's this. Listen, listen. It's all the groaning that comes from the futility of this fallen age. It's the tears that, that I weep over to the children that are dying. It's the, it's the pain that I feel when brother kills brother. It's the struggle that I have when I look at this world and I see that this world is upside down and sideways and perishing without Christ. Remember I told you that if He's living in me, then my heart is His. And I can't look at all that stuff and not suffer. Not groan like all of the world groans for the redemption of the sons of God. For that day when God will redeem all things. But until that time, all creation groans. All the pain, all the hurt, all the calamity, all the disasters, all the diseases. Any suffering that we meet upon the road to heaven and endure while trusting in Jesus is suffering if we suffer with Him. His pain. My pain. I can't look at all that. I can't just sit down in my comfort, in my easy chair, put my feet up, and not feel the suffering of a world in rebellion against her God. So what does this suffering accomplish for us? It knocks away the props, if you will, of our self-reliance. It knocks all that stuff away. Suffering knocks away the props of my self-reliance. I... I can take care of this myself. I can do it myself. It stops me from loving the things of this world more than the promises of God. It stops me from loving... Because I can't love the things of this world and then, and then look and see my brother starving. I can't enjoy the things, the gifts that God gives and watch the suffering. It stops me from loving this world and God's gifts more than loving God Himself. For He gives us every good thing to enjoy. But I love the giver, not just the gift. God promises us as we persevere through times of suffering, as we persevere through a fallen world where things happen that we don't understand, He tells us when we persevere, we have so much more to gain. 
Remember your inheritance? Everything. Everything, everywhere. Ephesians 1.18 says that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Yeah, we suffer here. We suffer. There's hurt and pain and tragedy and heartache. All designed or allowed to, to cause us to cling to the giver and not to the gift. Because we have an inheritance that's coming. Don't forget where this all leads. Did you see verse 18? He says in verse 18, I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory of our inheritance, all the world, God Himself, a redeemed body. All that suffering pales in comparison to what God has for us. So what does He call us to do? Then we cling to Him. We can know we are sons. We understand about our inheritance. We hold on to God for all we're worth. He is worthy. He's got so much waiting for us. So much waiting for us. But here's how people go through this life. Like a man riding in a wagon on his way to receive his inheritance. He's inheriting so much stuff he can't even begin to fathom it all. And on the way, a wheel breaks on his wagon. And he gets off the wagon and he walks toward his inheritance all the while worrying my wheel fell off. My wagon's broken. My wagon's broken. Who cares your wagon's broken? You're going to go get a big old inheritance. You've got so much waiting for you, you can't even imagine. But we spent all our time worrying about a busted wheel. That's all suffering in this world. It's not worthy to be compared with what God has waiting for us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's praise the Lord. (coughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, I pray that we would that we would come into the realization of all that you have for us. God, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. For we can know. We don't have to wonder that we are children of God. Your Holy Spirit is within us and it is leading us in a battle against my sin, our personal sin. And that you're leading us into a relationship with Almighty God that we can barely begin to understand. That's the relationship between a son and his father. The passion, the love from one to the other. These are evidences that your Holy Spirit is working within us. And if your Holy Spirit is working within us and we are your children, then we have an inheritance that we can't even begin to fathom so much. It's all Ours, it is your joy <coughs> to give your children the kingdom. But it's attached to, to time 
on this sphere. Time and suffering. Of carrying our cross. Of being persecuted for our faith. Of watching men and women suffer and perhaps suffering ourselves through disease or violence. But you tell us the way we endure through that suffering is to remember our inheritance. That we keep our eyes on Jesus. We consider Him the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and despised the shame, hated the shame. But He endured the cross for the joy set before Him, His inheritance, the saints. And He calls us As we work our way through a fallen and broken world that is in rebellion, open rebellion against God, loving the darkness. There's no other way for this world to go or to be than to be filled (coughs) with suffering and pain and hardship. And all the better that we might look forward to what we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. God be glorified. As we keep our eyes on you. And as you perfect us. Not that we have already been perfected. Or have already attained. But this one thing we do. Forgetting those things which lie behind. We press on toward our inheritance. Jesus Christ. You are my inheritance. You are the one. The only key to joy and happiness my relationship with you the joy that I will see you face to face the joy that I will ever be with you that you have wrought for me a pathway of salvation Lord God and for that we are so thankful but all of that hinges on three words If we are children. God, I pray today, no one leaves that doesn't have the assurance that I am His and He is mine. And we give you, Lord God Almighty, all the praise and the glory for what you have accomplished in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.